they discovered upon their arrival was almost unspeakable. We brought all people to some form or another. Well, hello. Hi. We are the Bad Taste Pinecast. I'm Janelle. I'm Vicky. And we're here to tell you a spooky story. Yeah. Or two. Two, two really. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's great to sort of see you and to see you. I know. I've missed you, girl. Touch me, but don't touch me. <laughs> if you've ever listened to our show before, you'll know for the last couple of months, we have been on lockdown recording at home because we're responsible Americans. <laughs> Mask up. <laughs> yeah, you know, the whole thing. This is a bad taste PSA. <laughs> but this time, we are so thrilled to be working with Elgin Fringe at the Fringe Festival, virtual. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Insert finger gun here. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. you know. Um, if this is your first time listening or watching the show, We're a sorry. special no. hello to you. <laughs> um, you have no idea what you are about to get into. Yes, so you're about sorry. to witness a crime. <laughs> that does not instill me with a ton of confidence. I, I have to be honest with you. <laughs> Crimes against podcasting. Oh, no. girl. No, no, no. We need no. to just give us a little bit of credit. Like, okay. a little bit? A scotch. All right. <laughs> um, but I'm very excited for our show today. This mm-hmm. is something I think we've wanted to cover for a long time. Uh, do you want to tell us? Why, yes. What we're covering? Yes. Okay. Have you ever heard of body snatching? <laughs> Why, no. I haven't. Well, we are going to regale you with a few tales today about body snatching. If you have ever wondered where all of our knowledge about the human body has come from. Uh, it's a sordid history. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I honestly wouldn't expect any less. Like, yes. let's be real. Most, yes. most of the start of anything specifically in this country mm-hmm. is like a terrible backstory. Yes, so before there was legit surgery, you went to doctors, we did cocaine, and that was, that was how <laughs> Cocaine and everything! <laughs> cocaine it was, was the help. best. Uh, but, but people started going, hmm, maybe we shouldn't leech each other's blood and do copious amounts of drugs. Let's explore further. <laughs> so we're going to tell tales of body snatching, and I personally don't like to choose heavy hitters. I think most of the time we don't. No. But I wanted to do something that was a little bit more grandiose and not so niche. Oh. So, I am not going to pass up that opportunity to talk about body snatching and not mention Burke and hair. <laughs> uh, I was so excited when you said you were going to cover this because, honestly, my, my, the first time I heard of Burke and hair was from the movie that was on Netflix that was Simon Pegg and yes. Nick Frost. Yes, that is, a, that is an enjoyable movie. I don't think I've watched it, but I looked into it. Yes, so I not so much idea. historically <laughs> accurate, but pretty fun. Yes, of course. <laughs> I'm all about the historical accuracy, but um, it's a lot to unpack, but it's a fun? <laughs> about as fun as we say everything on yes. the show is. This, is. this is a fun story. Yeah. It's probably one of the lighter ones. It is. Sadly. It is. It's pretty light. <laughs> so we're going to take a trip on over to Scotland, Edinburgh, Scotland to be exact. Is that a Scottish accent? No, okay. not yet. Just wait for it. All right. All right. <laughs> Scotland, if you weren't, so ready for if you weren't familiar, I'll do it at the end. Okay. I'll bust out one of my voices. Okay. Uh, Scotland is the land of the brave. Um, that is their official slogan. So. Oh. Yeah. All right. Learn something new today about Scotland. <laughs> and kilts. No. We see you. Uh, <laughs> we see you. 
So this is uh, 19th century Edinburgh, Scotland. So uh, all the wonderful things that we know today, lots of industrial revolution kind of things happening, but mm. I don't know if you're aware of this, Edinburgh was the epicenter of the medical field at this time. I did not know that. I wouldn't think of Scotland as the epicenter of anything, except Aww. for perhaps haggis. Um, but, yes. We just lost all of our Scottish I, viewers. All of the one Scottish viewers we <laughs> you have. You have this way, man. <laughs> I do. I, I love to ostracize go. people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, the University of Edinburgh was really paving the way for research in human anatomy. And since this was like the Industrial Revolution period, there were lots and lots of people who were poor, living on the streets. It was very dirty, grimy. People were working 10, 12-hour days, six, six days a week, sometimes seven. It was not a great period to live in, I think. Doesn't <laughs> um, sound very great. It doesn't sound no. fabulous. Uh, jobs were very, very hard to come by. And, you know, so that called for desperate measures. Um, so enter... Birkin hair. Ooh. Ooh, ominous. That entrepreneurial <laughs> spirit? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so William Burke and William Hare, of course, Will and Will, mm. uh, originally hailed from Ireland, um, but they found themselves in Scotland. So first Burke moved to Edinburgh in 1827 after leaving Ireland for Scotland due to a dispute with his soon-to-be ex-father-in-law. Aw, wah wah. Yes. Uh, he was kind of a bit of a difficult person. Difficult? <laughs> he was Are difficult. you being very generous I'm right being now? very generous and polite. <laughs> um, he would remarry uh, to a woman named Nellie and would become a not-so-great cobbler by trade. <laughs> wow, that's so unfortunate. kind of repair your shoes. <laughs> or just repair one shoe? Yes. Like a half-off discount? Yeah. Or that, not even a discount, that's just the work is <laughs> one shoe. <laughs> so he would pretty much make next to no money. Um, then Hare would arrive in Scotland around 1825, and he would work as a coal man's assistant. I don't really know what that entails, but I'm going to assume... The assistant to the coal man. To the coal man. The guy who shovels coal onto your driveway so you can stay warm. <laughs> onto your driveway? Yes. You don't take it inside? No. Oh, God, no. <laughs> For, like, stoves and things? No. Do I? I? Halfway there, you have to do the work yourself. Okay. Well, <laughs> wishful <So>. thinking. <laughs> yes. Hare would uh, marry a woman named Margaret and eventually take over a boarding house as the landlord. So he was out of the coal industry and on to being a landlord. <laughs> that is where the two would meet. So they started hanging around the boarding house and doing some side work as farmers, assistants, kind of all-encompassing community harvest style. And eventually, Burke would move into Hare's boarding house. And the pair would often be seen drinking and being boisterous and just loud and obnoxious. Party boys. Yes, they right. were 19th century party boys. Which are, you know what? I feel like the 19th century party boys are like the hardest partying party boys. Well, I mean, no one drank water. So wasn't everybody <laughs> a party boy in the 19th oh century? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> people Those still were the thought, good old days. Yeah, people still thought beer and wine was better than water. I mean, it's not. <laughs> so Hare had some trouble collecting uh, rent from his tenants. And he would often complain to Burke about how much debt he was in because they just wouldn't pay their rents on time. One of the lodgers in Hare's boarding house was named Donald. No last name, just Donald. 
That's bold. <laughs> just jolly old Donald. It's a bold move. <laughs> now, Donald owed money constantly, and he was not very reliable, a bit of a drunkard, as you are, and he was actually on an army pension and wasn't really working. So it was kind of hard to get him to pay up because mm. he wanted to pay the barkeep. So on November 29th of 1827, Donald suddenly died. He, okay. uh, he died from dropsy. Are you familiar with dropsy? I feel like I've heard that term, and every time I hear it, I get a little giggle on the inside. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, great, yes. Well, dropsy is the retention of fluids. So basically, you get all puffed up like a marshmallow, and you die. Oh. <laughs> okay. That sounds awful. It does. But also very, is it like... Um, instantaneous like you're filling no. up like a water balloon like i feel like that would be a little no. more it is a slow slow so you'll notice that growing. you're like <laughs> filling up with fluid yes that's great so that awesome. is how he died from dropsy um and donald's death really got to hair uh mainly because he owed him quite a bit of rent still so not knowing what to do hair went to burke complaining about his loss of income and of course burke was like dude i got you We'll just sell his body. Okay, right? so that's definitely the first thought that I jump to when He's somebody a problem solver. I guess <laughs> it's a great thing to put on your resume. Yes. Like, name a time when you had to solve a problem, and what did you do? Dead body. Sold this body. <laughs> so, of course, Hera's like, you know what? Okay, I think I'll go along with this. So they took oh him God. from his coffin because he wasn't quite buried yet. They stole this man from his coffin and took it to the University of Edinburgh to sell him. Okay, <laughs> all right. Now I know some people are probably going, what, what why, why are we selling people's bodies? <laughs> well, since Edinburgh was this kind of bustling medical community, uh, they needed bodies. The students of these programs needed something to dissect. They were in dire need of specimens all the time, and so this led to the creation of a job called Resurrection Man. Mm. I know you know that. <laughs> Such I a know good you know that. term. Yes. So, Resurrection Men would obtain corpses for these schools and doctors so that they could study them. Now, during this time period, it was actually really, really hard to get corpses because people were still very extremely religious and disturbing the dead was considered a no-no. Yeah. So, how else would we obtain a body? Uh... <laughs> oh God, I, it's, I'm ashamed to say I can think of a couple of ways. Yes. So most of the corpses in the beginning of this movement were people who died in mental asylums who were criminals and orphans. Oh, orphan trade. Big thing back then. Orphans. Big thing. Alive <laughs> or dead. Big thing back then. Yes. So uh, the bodies were kind of becoming more and more scarce during this particular time period. So alternative methods of mm. corpse obtainment were employed. <laughs> what could they be? It's a polite way of saying murder. <laughs> shocked. This is my shocked face. Yes. So <laughs> the duo took Donald's corpse on over to a Dr. Knox at the University of Edinburgh, and Knox gave them seven pounds and ten shillings for the corpse, which is like big money back then. Okay. Now, they weren't making that much. That was really more than they made in a week. 
Oh, <laughs> my goodness. So they both agreed that perhaps this wasn't such a bad business after all. All right. And, well, we all know what comes next. Death. A messy, confusing series of events that led to 16 people being murdered. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, 16. I'm actually, you know what, I'll be honest, kind of surprised it's not more than that. I mean, if you think about the time period in which this is happening, it's about a year, not even. Okay. 16 Maybe bodies. Less like a body a month. You I know. <laughs> Plus, you gotta kill them before they drop dead. Exactly. Otherwise, it's not murder. We need lucrative death. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, we're gonna go through that list of victims. It was a little bit difficult to find information about some of these people because, again, we're talking about people who lived in a boarding house, who didn't have a job, mm. who were invalids, mentally insane, criminals, all that sort of stuff. And also, this was like the 1820s. What are documents? Yeah, not the greatest at record keeping. Not existent. <laughs> so the first murder that they committed was in January of 1828, and it was a miller named Joseph. Now, all of the crimes that they committed, they think were done via suffocation after they've gotten almost all of these people drunk. So next time someone keeps offering you a beer, think twice. They might be trying to murder you. <laughs> I feel like I think that every time somebody offers me one too many beers. Like, what, what's your angle here? Mm, yeah. <laughs> so all of these murders, too, they were given 10 pounds per body. Which was also a lot, right? A lot. That's okay. more than they got for the first corpse. Because they were such reliable sellers, oh. the price increased. <laughs> oh, God. So the second murder took place in February of the same year, and it was a salt seller named Abigail Simpson. Now, they got her crazy drunk, and they suffocated her. Um, and when they took her body to Dr. Knox, he remarked, this is so fresh. Okay. <laughs> this is the freshest corpse that's I've ever weird. seen. That's just, I so, feel like even if you're in that business, that's a very weird thing to say. It's a strange like, statement. Ooh, you fresh. Oh, can you just, freshness. <laughs> <laughs> So gross. Yes, it is. But also, wouldn't that be like a clue? Like, hmm, still a little rosy in her cheeks. Perhaps. No, right. It's all right place, right time. It's all just happenstance. So, yes, we just found this corpse lying in the street. <laughs> so the third death was an unnamed uh, English man who was a match salesman. Suffocated, sold for ten shillings. Okay. The third person was Mary Patterson. She was just a passerby who was staying at the boarding house temporarily. A passerby. <laughs> uh, oh, the fifth no. victim was also uh, another passerby, Janet Brown. A lot of women are on this list, so not great. <laughs> now, the next two victims is kind of, it's kind of even <clears throat> more sad of a story. So this woman named Mrs. Haldane went to live in the boarding house because she lost her home. Okay. And she was only there for a few days, and they murdered her and sold her body. And then her daughter, Peggy, went to go live there. Now, she was going to live with her mother, okay. and they said her mother was gone, and we didn't know where she was. Oh no God. forwarding address. So, <laughs> so Peggy decided to stay, hoping maybe her mother would come back, or someone would tell her where she went, and then they, of course, plied her with many a drink, and also sold her dead corpse. I mean, I guess <laughs> technically she found out where her mom went. In heaven? 
If, that was bad. I mean, <laughs> if, okay, keep going. Yeah. Let's, let's power through give this, me some list, more. Yeah. this list of dead people. <laughs> so the eighth victim was an unnamed elderly woman. Again, they didn't have any information on her. So the ninth victim was Effie, and she was just working for them. She was a cinder gatherer, which is a fancy term for someone who cleans out chimneys. Okay, it's pretty fancy. And instead of paying her, they got her drunk and killed her. Made a profit, in fact. I do kind of love <laughs> that their solution to everything is, we'll just kill them, it's fine. It's fine. We don't need to pay them. We'll no. give them a little whiskey, so at least the send-off is good. Before we smother them how to death. How considerate. <laughs> like, know. truly, how considerate. It is. So the next two victims was an unnamed older woman and her grandson. And they described him as being dumb which I think is just their term of intellectually disabled. Oh. But that's what the newspaper said. <laughs> so. Okay. Um, the next couple are a little interesting. So we have an unnamed woman who actually was murdered by Burke only. Okay. And not at all involving hair. This would actually lead to kind of a separation of them in this whole business affair because he went and sold this woman's corpse without saying anything to hair and oh. made a profit just for himself. Oh no. So, after a very brief stint of them kind of feuding, they were like, you know what? We bonded over these corpses. We need to get back together. The band's getting back together. <laughs> there is part of me that feels like this is the point where they each separately form plots to kill each other. If only. Well, I mean, to be honest, there was a little bit of retribution in the end. Oh, so gosh. Okay. Just wait for it. I'm ready. <laughs> so the 14th victim was Mrs. Ulster. She was a washerwoman. She actually just lived there for like three days before they just up and killed her. Oh, my so, gosh. All right. <laughs> a constant rotation of people in this boarding house. Now, the last two victims would be the kind of key to them getting busted for all of this. So the 15th victim, James Wilson, was an 18-year-old man who was very distinct. He had this very distinct limp, and he was also developmentally disabled. And he begged on the street. So he was very familiar. He was always out on the street. People knew him. They recognized him. They were very kind to him. He was super familiar. You just, you know that guy that's in your neighborhood that you see walking all the time? Yes. He's that guy. We've got a couple. We've got a couple. We've got a couple you know, of those. Like, yes. You know those people. You yes. notice them. They're constantly walking around. Yeah. So when they went to deliver his body, there were some students helping Dr. Knox kind of bring some of the corpses in and get them settled so that they could be prepared for a dissection. Well, the students remarked, well, this, this corpse looks familiar. This looks like that James guy that we always see out and about on the street. Oops. And so... Dr. Knox is like, I don't think so, and immediately removed his head and deformed leg before bringing him out for dissection for the rest of class. Wow. Now, that sounds a little sketchy to me. Like, yeah. he knew there was something going on. I was going to ask, so did he get the, he must, I mean, he must have gotten the idea from the fresh corpse Duh. that so, things were... We'll see in the end what actually happened to Dr. Ugh. Knox, but... That sounds fishy. Yeah. I think it sounds yeah. fishy. So the last victim, the final victim, this is when they would really get caught. So Margaret Doherty was the final victim. 
She was killed on October 31st. 1821. Oh, hello, Z. Oh. <laughs> so the victim wouldn't actually make it to the dissection slab. So her body was found in the boarding house. It was kind of a weird thing that happened. So they got drunk, they suffocated her, but instead of immediately taking her to Dr. Knox, they waited till the next morning because it was really late, everybody was tired. So they put her at the foot of Hare's bed under straw. Okay. And they said, we'll get her in the morning. All right. <laughs> now, a woman named Anne Gray entered the room and saw that there was a body on the floor covered in straw. Oh my God. And so they were like, um, what the hell? It must not have been covered that well. No. Because you probably didn't have enough straw. Yeah. <laughs> just a very light dusting of straw yeah, on the top. Yeah, just a sprinkling of straw. <laughs> So Anne and her husband ran to get the police, and in the time they went to go get the police, because obviously the police weren't really like a thing yet, you had to run yeah. to wherever a person was living or a station yeah. <laughs> to get someone's attention. So in that time that they were going to get the police, Burke and Hare took the corpse to Dr. Knox, and the police arrived as Dr. Knox was preparing her oh to go gosh. into the anatomy class. So, wow. That would ultimately be their undoing. So, on November 3rd of 1828, a warrant was issued for Burke and Hare and their wives. A doctor examined the body of Margaret Doherty, who was the last victim, and it was determined that she was suffocated to death. Now, police okay. suspected that there were other murders because this seemed like really planned and thought out and methodical. So, they kind of wanted to try and get a confession out of them because this is old-timey police work you know there's no like fingerprinting it's a lot of eyewitness accounts or confessions yeah yeah which Old we all know police work is not wholly reliable <laughs> i mean is it reliable now no <laughs> no um so with some luck they were able to turn hair against burke okay. so remember that retribution i was talking oh, about oh yes oh yes you corpse without me jail for you. <laughs> so, Harris spilled all of the beans. He was like, this is what we did, this is how Good we do you. it. Way to turn your Go life around. <laughs> so he wasn't actually charged with anything. So Burke also kind of confessed to some of the things that were going on. Not everything, but obviously the last victim, because it's like, you found her. <laughs> so they also stated that there was another person who was helping them, this man named McDougal, who during the incident actually, Mary Doherty went to run out the door and he was like, no, 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 no. Come on back in. Oh, we gosh. have more whiskey. Okay. So he was implicated as well. So Burke and McDougal were charged. Um, they were in fact tried, but McDougal was let off because they said he wasn't actually involved in the legit killing. They just kind of coerced her back into the place. And of course, Burke was charged. And in fact, Burke was sentenced to death. So he was hung on January 28th of 1829 in front of a crowd of 25,000 people. Oh, that's a lot of people. That is pretty much all of Scotland. I thought you were going to stop at 25 and I was going to be no, like, no, no, that's no. pretty good. Extra zero on that. Wow. Okay. Now, in ultimate karmic retribution, on February 1st, his corpse was publicly dissected 
by Professor Monroe at the University of Edinburgh. So good. (laughs) In fact, his skeleton was preserved and they made a death mask of him that are actually still on display in the Anatomical Museum of the Edinburgh Medical School. Okay, so we're gonna take a field trip? Yes, yes. We have a picture of the death mask. They also provided a mask along with it of hair, but it was of uh, his likeness while he was living. Okay. So there is two death, death masks there and his skeleton so in ultimate karmic retribution that's amazing he was dissected as that's well that's that's feels now, good this actually led to a criminal act being kind of redone and reworked so are you familiar with the anatomy act of 1832 no no <laughs> not a, should i be i mean i think we've discussed it before probably but this trial kind of led to them reassessing how we can provide corpses to schools for dissection. Which who knew was going to be such a big problem that needed to be addressed. So the act stated that teachers had to have a license to obtain or receive bodies for dissection. Makes sense. This is actually where teachers licensing started. Oh. So. Like for all of For all all teachers. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) So, only bodies that were legally procured through death of a person in a hospital, prison, or a workhouse, which is a little problematic if you know the history of workhouses, Mm. uh, could be used, and no living relative, like if they objected, it was it. It was done. So, if you have a living relative who was like, I don't want that body dissected, they would have to honor those wishes. And that even goes for people who, in their wills, stated that they wanted to be dissected or given to science. Yeah. If they had any living relative that objected to that, they couldn't fulfill their own wishes. Which I feel a sort of kind of way about that because if yeah. you decide that before you die, it's like mm-hmm. honoring last wishes. Right, and that actually did happen. There was a man who wanted to give his body to science and his like great aunt or something objected. And so they didn't wow, do it. such a waste. It is. So. The uh, other great thing about this is anatomy teachers had to list and report all of the corpses they used and for what purposes they were using them for. So there was a lot of files on this. Yeah. And it laid the groundwork eventually for people being able to decide to leave their bodies to science because eventually the act was repealed and redone so that people could do that and no relative, no matter what, if they objected or not, had any say on that. Oh. I wanted to end this with a fun, fun children's rhyme that I found in this wonderful book that was extremely old. I think it was from like 1884. It was magical. They like scanned (laughs) this in and this is like one of the opening pages. Okay. So this is a fun children's rhyme that you can repeat to your kids. Oh God. Ready? Is this... Gonna, okay. This is going to be it. Is this it? <laughs> yes. The moment I've been waiting for this whole time. I'm ready. I'm so ready. All right. Birkin air fell down the stair with a body in a box. Gone to Dr. Knox. And that's it. That is the tale of Birkin hair. <laughs> that was everything that I thought it would be. And mm-hmm. I'm so glad you let me and everybody who is watching this share that moment. Yes. Thank you. I hope that that rhyme haunts your dreams. <laughs> Oh, great. And your children's dreams that we just suggested you say that to. They're going to be like, who? 
What? Stairs? What? Oh, they'll learn. <laughs> they'll know. Soon enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now, when most people think of body snatching as a practice, generally speaking, I feel like we're transported back to this time like of long gone medicine. Um, where its practices were incredibly arcane as we were with broken hair. Like, mm-hmm. that's, I think, more what people think about. But there's a surprising number of areas where this is still happening in our modern society. And oh, I kind of wanted to do a little, like, let's talk about today, because this shit still happens. Well, current body snatching, <laughs> I didn't even think about it. Let me buckle up. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like it's not going to be super surprising with our 2020 goggles on. That, oh, like, don't remind is, me. It's crazy. This is still going on. For instance, in 2015 in the UK, there was a burial plot belonging to a woman named Gladys Hammond that was found to be disturbed seven years after she had um, been buried. Now, Gladys was the mother-in-law to a man named Christopher Hall, whose family owned Darley Oaks Farm, which was a farm where they bred guinea pigs specifically for scientific research. Oh, I thought that was gonna end with like, for joy of children. No, it was not. (laughs) Not the little pigs. Obviously. By Janelle's reaction, you can tell this didn't go over well with animal rights activists. Um, And after a four-year-long investigation, it was discovered that four leaders of a movement called Save the New Church Guinea Pigs, um, the leaders were Carrie Whitburn, John Smith, John Abelwhite, and Josephine Mayo, Um, they had disturbed and removed the remains as part of a protest against the farm. Listen, I am all for anarchy, but digging up corpses might be too far. They were doing it to the extreme. <laughs> it's, I mean, it got noticed is also the thing. Like, but what did they do with the bones? They just Sticky. moved them around. They were eventually found. Um, they just shuffled them yeah. about. <laughs> moved them around, took them out. I, I don't know, they were scattered, but they found them. Um, the three men all received 12 years. Uh, and each, and Josephine received four. And like I said, the remains were found and returned to her grave. Or if we wanted to, we could look at places like China where old traditions have sort of continued to exist. Old traditions? Are there heavy quotes on that? Uh, maybe. Okay. <laughs> I, it is an old, it's an old Chinese, um, tradition specifically within now it persists in a lot of the mining communities um but the practice of using ghost marriages which is something i heard of this i was not familiar with until i started looking into like body snatching resurrectionists Mm -hmm. um the practice of ghost marriages is is over three thousand years old and it's this idea of people being married after their death Mm -hmm. Um, in some of, like I said, some of the coal mining regions where the populations of male deaths still are pretty high, there are reports from as recent as 2007 of families paying really high prices uh, to snatchers in the area. Oh my word. <laughs> to um, snatch you a husband. Yeah, they pay high prices to be provided for with provided with female corpses for their deceased relatives. And it, it really was quite a lucrative industry. Um, How does that wedding work? <laughs> it, 
you know, I don't so know. Detail. It's, it's one of these. I don't know. I didn't look that hard into it because I'm I also not more. trying to watch corpses getting buried. Like I didn't really want to spend my Saturday watching videos of corpses getting buried. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Google it. It'll pop up, I'm sure. And you'll immediately go on a watch list. Yeah. <laughs> um, so once they um, started removing these corpses from the graves, they were able to resell them on the black market. Um, for ghost marriages, essentially. And they've now, some of these resurrectionists have started resorting to murdering uh, females in order to sell their corpses for ghost marriages. Well. So we could talk about that, too. I mean. But we're not. That is a lot <laughs> to unpack. <laughs> we could talk about that, but we're not going to talk about oh, that. God. Instead, I really wanted to look at a case right here in the good old U.S. of A. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say right here in Illinois. No. Well, <laughs> maybe. It, it's kind of everywhere okay. in, in the U.S. But um, it's a case that involves skin and bones and a man named Michael Mastro Marino. Okay, that sounds like a mastermind. It is the craziest <laughs> last name that I've ever heard also. So... Uh, Master Marino didn't get into uh, the tissue trading game right off the bat. He was originally a maxillofacial surgeon Mm -hmm. that had initially been pretty, he was like pretty successful when he worked in New Jersey and Manhattan. Now, as reported by New York Mag, Master Marino had contributed to a book called Smile, How Dental Implants Can Transform Your Life. And um, in this book, he talked about how advances in bone grafting and breakthroughs in the tissue engineering industry have made it so they can literally put bone wherever they needed to put it. Um, But Master Marino sort of began this fall from grace when he began taking Demerol for a backache. Backache. Yes. <laughs> if your doctor isn't doing drugs, is he really a doctor? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and we just lost all of our doctor audience. <laughs> Damn. Uh, so it really quickly, honestly, turned into a drug abuse habit. Um, the effect that this had on his practice was pretty obvious to those around him who reported witnessing seeing Master Marino fall asleep during surgeries. There was a report where a nurse had to like tap him on the hand and oh, be like, no. keep doing this surgery. That's my worst nightmare. <laughs> well, you all know how I feel about doctors, so. This guy did it. No. <laughs> um, they also found him uh, with like hypodermic needles and blood in places, like just like needles and blood, right? Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure that you're going to say needles in places undesirable. No, this is not an Albert Fish story. <laughs> We're not going there today. Uh, So all of this would finally come crashing down in 2000 when a woman named Anna Ortiz filed a malpractice lawsuit claiming that during her surgery, he had damaged her seventh cranial nerve, resulting in a permanent left facial droop. Mm. Yeah. Now, following the procedure, Master Marino was arrested, and at the time, he was found in possession of Demerol, a hypodermic needle, and was under the influence of a controlled substance. Um, The lawsuit would eventually be settled out of court, and 
Master, uh, Master Marina was able to get a good lawyer to get rid of most of his drug, drug charges. The worst part of the entire thing was he ended up having to surrender his dental license. I mean, what can you do from there? Uh, a we'll lot. find out. A lot. You will find <laughs> out, yeah. So at this point, he had to find another way to support his family. Um, but fear not. The disgraced dentist had a plan. <laughs> In his surgery work, Master Marino had become quite familiar with a company that was one of the largest tissue banks in the country. And that's an unsettling term. <laughs> he was, and you know what? This is a thing that's very common. Mm -hmm. Everybody uses them. I have myself had two knee surgeries and I'm sure have had tissues from tissue banks. Like, it's a thing. Um, but he was also aware that the demand for tissues and raw materials was on the rise. The rawest of materials, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, and he yes. thought, as a surgeon, he was like the most well-suited to harvest these materials, okay? If you're not high, yes. Yeah. He did kick his drug habit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's more confidence yeah. in his abilities. <laughs> well, <laughs> hold on to that confidence. Um, the company who was named RTI uh, quickly realized that Master Marino was able to produce larger and better samples um, than their previous methods and immediately began supporting his business endeavors into the tissue harvesting industry. So uh, after and an unrelated charge being sanctioned for practicing dentistry without a license in 2002. It's a rogue dentist. <laughs> um, Master Marino went out and got his tissue harvesting license, which is also a thing that you have to have. Tail. <laughs> I, again, didn't look too hard into it because I, I almost don't want to know. You have to like... Just proper identification of different flaps on a board. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's, that's, too far. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, so he had this grand master plan, which was to work directly out of funeral homes. Hi. <laughs> um, and this was something that RTI thought was a fantastic idea. And so Master Marino set up his own harvesting company under the name Biomedical Tissue Services, which I'll just refer to as BTS from this point on. Um, not the Korean pop band. Not the Korean pop band. <laughs> the tissue harvesting band. <laughs> um, he was offering undertakers $1,000 per corpse for harvesting which was very lucrative. Um, and it was incredibly successful, so successful in fact that Master Marino had to hire an additional harvester named Lee Cruchetta in 2003. The two would primarily, as this is probably not gonna come as a surprise, primarily focus on areas with a low socioeconomic status, um, places like Harlem, the Bronx, Newark, and Philadelphia. And the families who allowed them to take tissue from their deceased were supposed to receive compensation in some form, whether it was like discounted funerary services or a discount on a coffin uh, or a casket, but there was almost no evidence that that ever happened or Not surprising. that the deceased were informed that their loved one's bodies were going to be used for tissue harvesting. <laughs> so that's... Great work there. Mm -hmm. I mean, would they ever notice? Uh, well, it Somebody would take would. a while. <laughs> the 
contracts BTS held with RTI included the procurement of long bones, which I did double check with a friend who is in the medical field, and that is a real medical term. <laughs> um, it includes bones like the femur, tibia, and fibula, humerus, radius, ulna, clavicle, and various bones in the hand and feet. So it's basically bones that are longer than they are wide. Okay. Uh, it's exactly what you would think of when you think a of long, long bones. bones. <laughs> um, if there was a viewing for the deceased, the um, Master Marino and Crusetta would replace the bones with PVC pipe, uh, which we have an example of up right now that Janelle can't see, so you'll have to look at this later. But Thank you. <laughs> I don't worry, my imagination went yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, um, it actually is industry standard to do that especially if there was a viewing because they would um, use not they would use it to conceal the harvesting but they mm -hmm. would basically just cut off from the hip to the ankle and then just replace it with pvc pipe i mean the amount of things that undertakers do to your body to make i it learned look a whole lot like. i never <laughs> wanted to know about death in this one yeah no you know it's seen a lot of pictures that you can't unsee <laughs> i cannot unsee them now um but most of this would change when they actually got to a access to a crematorium um, because they didn't have to be as careful with their harvesting because the bodies were just gonna get turned into cremains. So just a real hack job then. Yeah, they Great. started using power tools <laughs> okay. to remove bones, spines, and tissues. Uh, <laughs> And then they would pack the body with some sort of material to avoid blood and fluid like spilling out all over the place on the trip to the uh, crematorium because the crematorium was just a block away from where they were doing their work outside, at the funeral I was outside? Yeah. Like, oh, they had to take the body out and about? It gets worse. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it, it oh, gets, no. It gets worse. Um, in fact, neighbors <laughs> reported that um, business was so good for BTS that they would see vans dropping off corpses at all hours of the day and night. They would sometimes leave the body bags on the sidewalk. Okay, at least they used a car. I envisioned them just wheeling <laughs> it down a block. Just <laughs> Oh, yeah, I mean, they might have done that. Oh, this no. This is like the initial body drop-off okay. for harvesting. Um, <laughs> So they would just leave the body bags on the sidewalk because uh, they were so overloaded and the noise itself was often noticeable too um, because they would hear banging and clanging late into the evening. That could be misconstrued. <laughs> and then during the mornings, there would be bags upon bags upon bags on the sidewalk filled with surgical gloves, aprons, and bloodied cotton swabs which they weren't super crazy about because they had cats in the neighborhood oh, that would get no. into the bags and like take steps for breakfast. They just like come back with a bloody glove in their mouth. No. Yeah. Well. So that was a thing. <laughs> this is so good, in fact, that Master Marino had to hire another two additional team members, allowing them to take care of the dirty work of harvesting while he was able to work on paperwork and like other business needs. Now, again, as reported by New York Mag, quote, Crusetta was doing up to 25 harvests a month and making 200 to $300 a harvest plus salary. 
and Master Marino, he figures, was probably earning per body between $10,000 and $15,000, although Master Marino's lawyer claims that it was only $7,000 at most per corpse. We are in the wrong business. Uh, I'm starting to think that, honestly, like, but no. I mean, this would solve a lot of my problems, but don't tempt me, girl. Ethical harvesting. (laughs) Uh, Now, BTS also regularly flouted industry and FDA standards. Big shocker. Yes, I'm surprised. Um, They had standards for tissue harvesting. And according Probably not using power tools would be one of them. Yeah, that's a big one. Uh, but according to Commonwealth of Pennsylvania v. Michael Masterino, many of the bodies BTS had harvested were from uh, the elderly and the sick, sometimes having HIV or hepatitis. Ooh, so yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, that is a big problem. Uh, due to the influx of business, the bodies would often sit around with no refrigeration um, and were harvested outside of the recommended 24-hour time period. (laughs) And... So were they even useful? Well, BTS said they were, so it's fine. Could they realistically, like, give it to this company and they'd be like, it's not a good sample and still get paid for that? Yeah. Oh my god. And part of it had to do with... um, in my research, RTI talks about this. It's almost like the last thing they do in the process when they take some uh, harvested tissue is like a, it's like a like washing it basically. Mm-hmm. So it does get rid of a lot of lingering disease and anything that could be left on there. So um, later, the FDA and the CDC actually viewed the risk of some disease tissue being implanted relatively low because of that process. But they still took all the tissue in and paid them for it. That's crazy. So um, BTS also continued to harvest without consent of the families of the deceased. Um, But it would actually take a while for this to be discovered because Master Marino opted instead to forge and falsify paperwork, including the identity, condition, and medical history of the deceased, along with the consent from families paperwork. That's why I think he switched over to paperwork instead of like (laughs) doing the thing. Um, But to take it even one step further, Master Marino replaced blood samples for disease tissue with mislabeled disease-free samples so the tissue banks wouldn't know. Okay, I'm sorry. What? Which makes any claim that's like, I didn't even know this was going on, totally BS. Like, he was pretty actively <laughs> covering it up. Sounds like it. <laughs> and this did allow for doctors all over the US to unknowingly use disease tissue for transplants into patients. Now, one of the more famous cadavers to come across the harvesting table was Alistair Cook. Are you familiar? Do tell. He is most well-known for being the host of Masterpiece Theater Mm -hmm. from 1971 to 1992. Huh. Yeah. And it's known that when he passed away in 2004, he had died as a result of lung cancer that had spread to his bones. Um, And he had heart disease. But despite this... 
Master Marino instructed his staff to proceed with the harvest, where they removed the bones in his arms and legs, um, skin from the chest and back, and some heart valves and veins before the body was cremated. Um, there's also reports that in order to cover this up, the death certificate had been altered in order to hide his cause of death. Oh my gosh. And his age had been altered from 95 to 85. Younger is better. Yeah. <laughs> now, Alistair Cook's daughter, uh, Susan Kittredge, did receive the cremains within 24 hours, or I'm sorry, within 48 hours, but it would take until Christmas 2005 before she would realize that some of the cremains were missing. Well, I mean, how, how would you yeah, even know? Yeah, I don't know if it's a weight thing say, or if it just like feels like, a little light. <laughs> I haven't held enough like urns to really get a feel for, so I don't know, maybe. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, now, it wouldn't be until one of the funeral homes that BTS and Master Marino were working out of um, it was called Nacelli. It was sold uh, to another owner, and the authorities at that point were alerted to something suspicious by the new owner. Hmm. Um, they had discovered that there was a secret room where tissue is being harvested. <gasps> secret now, tissue room? <laughs> the setup was they would bring the bodies in on a table and it had hydraulics that lifted the table up to the second floor where they did all of the harvesting and then they'd bring them back down to the first floor and take them out. So the new owners were like, we've got the secret harvesting on the second floor. It's kind of sketch. That is really sketchy. Yeah. Very uh, ominous. <laughs> so they called the police and took, okay. them, took them on a tour of the funeral home. They're like, here's but this. Also when they were buying it, didn't they go on a tour before they purchased this? I feel like, they like they here's the secret harvest room. I mean, don't look in that but door. <laughs> I don't know that they would be like, secret harvest room, here it is. Um, so when the police went, this is also when they discovered that they had a practice of replacing the bones with the plastic pipe, um, which, like I said, it was industry standard, but for people who are not within an industry, it's something that like struck them as like, okay, that's mm -hmm. a little weird. Um, and so it didn't sit well with Assistant District Attorney Josh Hanshaft, who decided to look a little bit harder into BTS's business practices. And it wouldn't take long before he discovered the extensive forgery of paperwork. Um, in fact, the DA's office would allege in court filings that all but one of the 1,077 cases, uh, there was no ev evidence of consent. So literally everything but one piece of And what is our case. motto, Vicki? Consent is key. Consent is key. Consent is key. It's uh, even after you're dead. Consent. Consent. Um, but Nacelli wasn't the only funeral home that BTS was working out of. They were working out of um, another funeral home named Garzones. And even though he had discovered that BTS was under investigation in 2005, he continued to work out of Garzones until later in the year. At that point, Master Marino decided to destroy his records and then encouraged the funeral home to set fire to the building. <laughs> How do you casually mention that? 
So you should probably start yourself on fire. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just throwing ideas like spaghetti and swall, but building fire. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't go for it. Um, I'll just wise put that decision. Out yeah. Um, but he did, like I said, destroy the records. Um, but at the end of it, the funeral homes received more than $245,000 from BTS for their co uh, cooperation, while Master Marino got over $1.1 million from tissue banks. Wow. That's a lot of dough. That is. The discovery of this information sent the tissue harvesting industry into a complete tailspin. I mean, like literal, like stocks were plummeting. <laughs> Tissues were plummeting. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a whole thing. Oh um, and the FDA was pretty quick to shut down BTS after that. Although it's kind of unclear how the forgeries weren't discovered by the FDA or the New York State Department of Health during their annual inspections. I mean, government officials. Uh, yeah, <laughs> all makes, you have to say. <laughs> it makes me feel like they probably did not inspect too hard. No. Um, and RTI, the original company that allowed Master Marino to start his harvesting business, they found it prudent to cut ties with him as well. I would hope so. <laughs> and they immediately issued a recall on any tissue samples that had been sent by BTS. Um, even his employees began abandoning ship, claiming that he was like the mastermind and they were the muscle. So they're just like, I don't know, I just did what he told me to. I just did the stuff, it was all him, which it didn't really help them out in the end, if I'm being honest. <laughs> um, the case against Master Marino and BTS was taken to a grand jury on May 4th, 2006, where they recommended charges and Master Marino was promptly arrested. He and his lawyer opted for a guilty plea on various charges, and he was sentenced on October 22nd, 2008. He received multiple counts, including violating the Corruption Act, um, criminal conspiracy, 244 counts of theft by unlawful taking, four counts of deceptive business practices, and 17 counts of abuse of a corpse. That's the sticker right there. <laughs> and for all of this, he received 25 to 58 years in prison. Do you, do you think that's not a lot? No, I don't. I felt like it was a lot. No. Because... He made so much money. He did make a lot of money, but he... This, is gonna sound, this might sound really terrible, but I also feel like he wasn't actually murdering people. So, like... That's true. It was but, still abuse of a corpse, yeah. but like... Deceiving family members, yeah, I think, yeah. is the biggest issue with it. Yeah, for sure. But I thought that if it, he ended up being in for 58 years, I was like, that's pretty good. I mean, that's a lot. But don't worry, because he did. <laughs> and was he harvested in retribution? <laughs> well, in what I feel like is an interesting bit of irony... Um, he was sent to Rikers Island to serve out his sentence, and then when he was 49, he died after losing his battle with liver and bone cancer. That is retribution. <laughs> that is retribution. <laughs> and it's, I mean, I'm glad they finally, at least they were able to like recall the tissue, like 
-hmm. in our modern age thanks to some of these old practices that we had they do have stuff that like tracks that now yeah which is great (laughs) um but i also wonder how much verification there is on the front end obviously if he was able to forge literally thousands of documents like it it, they cannot be looking that hard at this stuff i don't think so yeah (laughs) um so that was just a little look at some modern day modern in case you thought this didn't happen anymore surprise it does (laughs) i'm not that surprised it's not as fun though it's not no it's not i'm sorry I I can I can play the downer. I'm fine with that. <laughs> um, but that is it for our show. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, if you like this and you want to hear more episodes like this, you can go to badtastefriendcast.com where we have everything we've ever done. So much. There's tons. Yeah. Um, but we also want to say thank you to the Elgin Friend Festival and Side Street Studio for allowing us to rain on their parade a little <laughs> with some death and murder <laughs> i don't know what else you got anything else you know no you know we're just surviving <laughs> <laughs> um well i guess on that note this has been the bad taste crime cast <laughs> we'll see you soon <laughs> <laughs>